Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Begin by Soho CRM. So let's face it, you don't have to use spreadsheets, notepads, reminders, and 10 other apps to manage your customer information like you may be doing today. Whether you're a startup, a small business, or a freelancer, did you know that you can manage your business as effectively as any large corporation? With the current market, it's more critical than ever to retain existing customers while also staying on top of your sales pipeline. And you can do this with your business today by saying no to spreadsheets. Begin supercharges your workflow and helps you engage prospects, manage pipelines, and close deals without skipping a single beat. It has a super simple drag and drop interface, which will have you up and running in under 30 minutes. All listeners of our podcast can get up to 15 days for free, the free trial, along with a 50% off and up to $100 when you sign up. Just go to Soho.to forward slash begin Pantera Advisor and get started. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I'm very excited about the guests that we have today. I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about building, scaling, becoming cash flow positive, raising money after, you know, not having luck. I mean, I think that you name it, you know, but without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Samir Sharif. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So originally, you know, out of New Jersey, from a family of five, you know, with parents, software engineers. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Yeah. So yeah, I, I, had, a, I had a good childhood. Yeah. I have an older brother and sister. I had, you know, my, my t- two parents were, yeah, like I said, both software engineers. And so I think what that meant is I got a lot of exposure to technology at a pretty early age. And so I started programming when I was pretty young and, and was just super interested in it, uh, and I just, in general, like loved learning things. You know, I remember, you know, my mom teaching me some complex computer science soft, uh, computer science concepts uh, when I was pretty young, and and it going way over my head. And you know, I think I think having two older siblings was great because I was constantly learning from them. Like my sister and I joke about how she would learn something at school and then come home and teach it to me. And so I just I was in a really great environment for like learning, and I I just really I think it helped me really get a, a love for learning. And uh, that stuck with me, I think, all the way till today. Uh, I, uh, you know, Cambly, as we'll get into, is an education company. And so I think over time, I really became fascinated by, uh, you know, I loved being a student and I loved education, but I think over time, I became really fascinated in the ways that technology could bring higher quality education to people around the world. And so uh, I think sort of married my, my love for education and my love for technology. Got it. And now, were your parents here in the U.S. born and raised, or did they come from anywhere else? No, they they uh, they immigrated here. Uh, I was actually born in Canada, and I spent the first year of my life there before we, before we landed in New Jersey. But yeah, fun fact about my family: all the five of us were born in five different countries, uh, wow. and so uh, very much a, a global uh, family right there. Yes, yeah, so they immigrated here. Uh, they both uh, grew up speaking English, and I, I grew up speaking English as well. And so as we get into Cambly, and, and which is an English education service, uh, uh, yeah, I think that wasn't an experience I had personally. It was something I kind of, I, I sort of came across later on in life. Well, I mean, coming here to the U.S. and, and to, to, to give a better life, you know, for you and your sister, I mean, I'm sure that they were very 
very much proud when you attended Princeton and then Stanford. I mean, oh my God, you know, the, the schools that you attended. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really fortunate, I, I think, to, to get to, yeah, continue to pursue my, you know, my love for learning at, at, at different places. And I think even beyond the schools I went to, you know, I started my career at Google, uh, really fortunate to, to get started there. It was a really, this was kind of in like the mid 2000s. And Google was just a, a really, really exciting place to be, I think, as a technologist, a lot of really cool technology work was happening there. Why, why, why Google? Because I mean, here you are in Stanford, you know, you are, you have like this love also for problem solving, right? I mean, obviously engineering, uh, and you are in the Mecca of, of startups, <laughs> you know, like why, why not explore? Because I mean, obviously you, I, I believe that you were exploring and, you know, doing your, your little, you know, a weekend project here or a little startup, startup project here or there. Why Google and maybe not taking a stab at it, you know, before Google? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, uh, yeah, I did I did do some sort of entrepreneurial endeavors uh, while I was in college, and I was always poking around trying out new things. And so I was really interested in like business and and sort of startups, even if, even at that age. I visited Google, and it was just a. I mean, I, I think about that. It was a different time then. I think startups actually were. It was harder to figure out where to go in terms of startups. It was a very different time back then, and. Google was just, I think, a really exciting place. I remember in maybe midway through college for me, Google Maps came out and it just like blew everyone's mind. Like, how could you do this? Google was just doing stuff with technology that no one else was doing. And so uh, I visited and I was like, I just want to be at this place. I want to I want to participate in this. And uh, I think it was for me a really good opportunity to to learn a lot about technology, building software at scale. Uh, um, you know, learn about how a really amazing company was run. Uh, and so it was actually a, a wonderful place to, to start my career. And I, I, I didn't think that seriously about joining a startup at a, at a college, uh, honestly. Like, I think I was just a little less aware of, of that world and what was going on. And Google was, I think, you could, I guess it was a startup a few years prior, but it, had, it was scaling pretty fast. Uh, but, but I think, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it anyway. I think I had a really, really good experience there and, and learned a ton that, that I think helped prepare me to take that next step and, and start to explore the startup world. And what, what, what did you learn from Google? I mean, those were the years of uh, crazy growth too. I mean, Google had just gone public uh, two years before that. So what, what, what did you learn? What, what lessons do you take out, you know, with you from Google? Yeah, I mean, I think really practically speaking, like I learned how to be, uh, I learned how to be a good software engineer. I learned a lot of like very tangible skills that, that served me really well later on. I worked with people, you know, the team I joined out of college, I was this 22-year-old electrical engineering major, actually, and everyone on my team had a computer science PhD. And so I was just in an environment where I, just, I couldn't help but just absorb all of this these people who are far, far more experienced than, than I was in, you know, in, in software engineering. And so I learned a lot about how to be a really good software engineer, how to build software that scales really well. Uh, so I think some really practical skills uh, there in terms of what I was actually working on. And then I, you know, I learned, I think a lot of, I think Google is a really well-run company. Like I learned a lot about how, how those, how a really well company uh, is run, like how they make decisions, um, how the organization is structured uh, how leadership, you know, thinks about problems. And so I got a lot of exposure, I think, to just a great company. And so I think that was super valuable. I still draw lessons from that. And then specifically the team I was on, uh, it was sort of a, a metrics and analytics team. And and so 
we were all about data and, and Google as a company, I think is all very, very focused about making data-driven decisions. And so that's something that I, I learned really well. I worked with some amazing software engineers, some really good statisticians, like how do you actually leverage data to, to build the best service, to build the best company you can build? And a lot of those have translated really well to, to, to the startup environment as well. Um, we specifically worked on like an A-B testing platform for search quality and and A-B testing is a powerful concept that I think Google kind of pioneered in the technology space. Uh, and we were right kind of, I was, I was fortunate to be right there in the mix as that a lot of that work was happening. And, and those things, although they don't apply perfectly right when your company is getting started, as your company scales, uh, there's some really valuable things you can do uh, to, to sort of build the best growth engine you can to iterate on the product and make sure you're, you're using the data you have to, to make the best decisions. And you're talking about being a good software engineer. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of entrepreneurs right now that are that are tuning in and and are maybe like thinking about like recruiting and now bringing for the first time their engineering team or or whatever that is. But I guess what does a good software engineer look like? I mean, what would you say are the three main you know skill sets of a really good software engineer? Uh, that's a tough one because they come in, I think, come in different flavors. Uh, I mean, Google, I think, had all types of software engineers, but I think a lot of my exposure was kind of more backend people that, you know, didn't just know how to like write code to like get the job done, but they would architect things in a way that would extend and expand to other areas, like kind of anticipate problems and build the software in a way that would sort of flex in that direction. So I think that's really valuable, like kind of being a good architect and thinking a few steps ahead of where is the software going. Uh, scale is one I've mentioned that like, you know, you could write code a certain way and it might work if you only have a few users, but if you want to scale up to millions or tens of millions or in Google's case, billions, there are really different ways to build software. And, and that's a skill that like, I mean, it's hard to learn in like, in the abstract, you, you kind of need to like, you know, you need to like, I think it's really valuable to have folks that have actually built really, really scalable services. And I mean, Google's operating at just such enormous scale that, yeah, a lot of a lot of software engineers there have exposure to that. And, and I think that's really valuable if your company actually starts to, you know, get some traction and, and have some success. It's, it's really valuable to have people that have have seen how to build build software that, that scales really well. Now, in your case, I mean, after almost five years at Google, you decide to leave. I mean, it sounds like there was like a colleague, former colleague that was building some exciting stuff. So, I mean, it's it's a really big deal. It's a really big decision to leave Google. So, I mean, what 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 do you think? You know, push you to do so? Yeah, it was it was a tough decision. I think I'd been. I mean, I want for starters, I lo- I actually still loved my job at Google at the time, and so it's always tough to leave something like it's not like I was unhappy. I was I was still really enjoying my my job there. And, and, but I'd been really curious about startups. I think you can't help. You're hanging out in Silicon Valley. You're hearing about startups all the time. Like I've been really, really curious about them for a long time. Uh, but I think especially kind of while being here, I think what was helpful is all of a sudden there was like this concrete opportunity. I was like, I could, it's not an abstract idea anymore. Like I could actually go and join this company with this person I really trust uh, and learn from them. And so it became from this abstract thing to something that was very, very concrete. And, and the way I thought about it is like, you know, I loved working at Google. I'd learned a ton while I was there. But if you think about your, your career as sort of, uh, you know, a 45-year journey or whatever, uh, you know, I was still relatively early in my career. And I 
I was curious about startups. I wanted to learn more about them. And I wasn't sure like, yeah, I love working at Google, but maybe I'll like working at startups even more. And, you know, when I thought about my career as this, you know, longer journey, I thought now's a good time to explore uh, and figure out what I really like. And so that, that helped me, I think, make the leap. I think the other thing that helped me make the leap is like these decisions that sometimes aren't as big as you make them out to be. Like if you, if you make that decision and you realize it was a terrible decision, you could probably go back and, and reverse it and, and get a job at Google or another big company uh, otherwise. And so I think kind of having a little comfort that like this wasn't a one-way door, this wasn't an irreversible thing, I think helped me make the leap. Uh, and then I joined the, this startup with a former colleague of mine and and I like absolutely loved it. It was like very clear to me very quickly that this is actually way better for, for me. I, I mean, I just, I love wearing like, I love wearing lots of different hats. I love understanding all of the different aspects of, of a business. I think there are things that I just didn't even think about when I was a software engineer at Google that I got to like actually focus a lot of energy on. And there are things I discovered that I was good at uh, that I didn't know. And so I, I just, it was like a total, it was a perfect, it was a great fit for me. And I, uh, I've, I've never looked back. Well, what did you discover that you were good at? Come on, you can't leave us on the uncertainty. Yeah, for sure. Yes, I think like, you know, there were things like, yeah, I like, I like to sell, basically. I, I like, you know, I like to be a, a salesman. I like to kind of do that sometimes. And uh, I think that was the thing that I realized at Google, that, like, I just didn't really have a lot of facets to, to like, exercise that skill, like to, to do that. And so I think that's one area that like, obviously, if you're in a, if you're in a startup environment, you know, they'll take whatever skills you can bring to the table. And then obviously, the job that I'm, I'm in now as a founder, you're selling all the time. You're selling investors. You're selling the future hires, right? So uh, that's just the thing—a thing that I kind of I knew I enjoyed doing, but I didn't really have a way to do it as a software engineer at Google. I think one thing I discovered is like, you know, when I joined when I joined the startup out of Google, like uh, because of the the nature of the work I did at Google, I actually didn't think I thought a lot about metrics and data uh, and statistics. Uh, but I didn't really te think that much about like product, like consumer facing product, just because I wasn't really on a consumer facing product team. When you're like at a four person company, like you kind of have to think about everything. And I, I think I learned that like one, I, I like um, I really enjoy thinking about product. And I actually I think I realized I had more of an act for it than than I initially thought. And so uh, that was something that that like was a bit of a discovery for me because I just all of a sudden had an opportunity and a reason to start thinking about this stuff. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As a founder, you need to always be in problem-solving mode and really being faced with challenging situations, whether it's with life or with the business itself, you need to find a way to find the, the better solution, the solutions that are going to help you to really overcome that roadblock. And a therapist, a therapist like, for example, the ones that BetterHelp matches you with could be a good option for you. And I mean, I remember, for example, for myself with relationships, with experiences, I've used therapy in the past and it really helped with unloading depression, anxiety. So BetterHelp is a really good solution. You could try it because it's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online where you can get matched with a therapist that could be the right fit for you. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DealMakers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DealMakers. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept 
really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike sieverson to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, in your case, I mean, you know, you were there for close to two years. You meet now your co-founder at Cambly. So what was that journey? Because, I mean, as they say, you know, ideas, they're dormant. You know, they take time to incubate. They're there. We don't even know that they're there. But then there are certain events that perhaps trigger us or push us, you know, towards taking action. So what do you think, you know, was that, you know, process or that journey from inception to to lunch, you know, for you all? How did that look like? Yeah, I was really fortunate to get to meet my co-founder at, at this startup. And he was employee number one, and I was employee number two. So I, I didn't just meet him, but I worked in a highly unstructured startup environment. I think very, very similar to what it's like to start a company uh, together. And and I was super impressed from him from, from the early days. And and I think I had, you know, told some of my family that, hey, this is this is the kind of person I'd love to start a company with one day. And, uh, you know, my co-founder, Kevin, uh, he had been, I think, pretty interested in language learning in particular. And and I think, you know, we we started talking a little bit about uh, kind of what what grew into the, the idea for Cambly. And and I think, you know, Cambly really like the inspiration for Cambly really came from our own experiences learning other languages. And so. You know, Kevin and I both grew up here in the U.S. We went to public schools here, took foreign languages as part of that, and, and learned them in sort of a traditional classroom environment. Uh, and then, and sort of independent from that, we both love to travel, and so we've been all over the world. And uh, I took a trip, one trip in particular, to to Argentina, where um, I was traveling alone for a good chunk of that. And I kept finding myself in situations where I was surrounded by people that only spoke Spanish. And, and yeah, I took Spanish in high school. I was like not that great at it. And I kind of thought I wasn't really a languages person. But then when I when I immersed myself in an environment and surrounded myself with people that, that spoke Spanish, it, it sort of forced me out of my shell. It, it got me talking. And what I found is I learned so much faster in that environment than I ever did in a classroom. And not just that, it was like way more rewarding than it ever had been, you know, in, in sort of a more artificial classroom environment. And so uh, my co-founder Kevin took took French in school and went to France and had a very similar experience there. And so we kind of got together around this idea of like, why can't we you know we should go to practice these languages whenever we want? There's plenty of people in the world that speak these languages; they just don't happen to live near us. And you know, as product people, as technologists, we we, we kind of felt like, hey, this this seems like the kind of problem that technology could solve. Uh, and what we wanted actually wasn't a, a formal lesson, like a formal sort of structured lesson with a professional teacher. 
What we wanted was just a regular person we could talk to, you know, very similar to what you do when you're traveling. You just strike up a conversation with, with someone kind of on the street. And uh, and we wanted to kind of recreate that. And so uh, that was sort of where, where Campbell came from. And, and as I mentioned, Kevin wanted to learn French. I wanted to learn Spanish. But as we looked at the market, we quickly realized the market wants the the world wants to learn English, and uh, and so we decided to focus on that. And, and what I've learned over time is that, you know, English is really different from every other language. I think for those of us who are you know who grew up speaking English, I think I think it's easy to think that oh, if I you know me learning Spanish to someone else learning English, those are kind of equivalent, but they're not. You know, I think the the reality is that there are you know, the world has kind of landed on English as being the language of international business and trade. And if you want to participate in that that economy, uh, learning English is is a prerequisite of that. And uh, and the result of that is, is there's an immense demand to learn English because people know it will unlock huge economic opportunity for themselves. And so, uh, you know, if you zoom out a bit, there's um, about 7.58 billion people in the world. There's six billion of them. Uh, six billion other people don't speak English. So that, in the broadest sense, like that's the market. Uh, and, and by the way, of those six billion people, uh, 1.5 billion people are actively trying to learn English right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's this, it's this huge, huge problem in the world. But I think what's really interesting and fascinating about it is those of us who speak English, like we just don't see it. Like we don't have the problem ourselves. Uh, but not just that, like no one we know has the problem. You know, it's not a coincidence that our, our friends and family also speak English. We talk to them all the time. And so it's this enormous, really important problem that's kind of, I think, largely overlooked by the English speaking world. And yeah, I think if, if you're someone who doesn't speak English and you and you learn it, it just it can it can completely change your life. It can get you a job you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It can allow you to move to a place where um, you could have a better life. Outside of the economic opportunity, there's there's things like access to information. There's so much information. We think we have information at our finger, fingertips in this you know in this day and age, but actually a lot of that information is in English. A lot of the internet is in English, and so you know we kind of take for granted as English speakers that we have access to that. But if you don't know English uh, and you know some other language only, like the world of information you can play in, including things like this podcast, uh, you know, are, are much smaller. You may you may not be able to listen to this because because this podcast is in English. Yeah, there you go. So, so then, what ended up being the business model of Cambly? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so the, the product is super simple. It, it, you know, it's a it's an app. Uh, you press a button, and within a few seconds, we connect you to a friendly native English speaker over video chat. Uh, and it's a two sided marketplace. So uh, students pay to uh, subscribe to the service, and uh, tutors get paid to talk to students. Uh, and so, yeah, pretty pretty simple, like simple business model. Uh, and, uh, and you know, we make, we make money off of kind of the spread of those two things. And how was the experience of going to Y Combinator for you all? Yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, I think we, so early on, you know, when we got started with the company, we just bootstrapped for like about the first year. And so Kevin and I were funding the company ourselves, uh, pretty humble beginnings. Like we, uh, you know, we basically, you know, we spent our days, uh, we were the only two tutors on the platform initially. And so uh, we basically spent our days writing code and building the product. Uh, and then when a student called in, we'd you know, run off to the other room and talk to them uh, real quick and then come back. And you know, we were basically like, we were personally delivering all of the value in the marketplace ourselves. 
you know, we, we've come a long way since then. Uh, and, and today we have like a huge community of tutors and we do um, over one year of one-on-one tutoring every single day. And so the, the impact and the volume that we're doing is, 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 is much, much bigger. But, but yeah, in those early days, we kind of, uh, we were we were pretty scrappy, uh, and we we figured out how to make this on-demand service with with very little capital. And then about a year in, we applied to Y Combinator, and we did that, uh, and it was a really great experience. I think you know Kevin and I are both first-time founders, and so a lot of this was new new to us. We knew technology, we knew how to build a product, uh, but we didn't know much about you know how to how to pitch it to investors, how to fundraise. Uh, the YC community is a distinct. A really amazing community to be part of and so we met some great people there that we've still kept in touch with i think even after finishing y combinator and, and which i think really helped us raise our seed round uh you know we've kept in touch and benefited a lot from being part of the yc community and so i think it was a really good decision to to do that early on in the company's history and in terms of uh capital how much capital have you guys raised today yes yeah, so we've raised about 60 million dollars uh, in the lifetime of the company and the company's actually cash flow positive and has been for the last five years. Uh, happy to get more into how we got that got 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 there later. Uh, but but yeah, so we actually have like you know we've raised sixty million dollars and we have more than that in the bank today. Um, so so puts us in like a pretty healthy financial position. And I mean, I, for you guys, you know, very early on, I mean, you you really tested you know the whole cash flow positiveness, which is not the norm, right? When you're like a hyper growth company there, you know, out of the Bay Area, but but I guess for you guys, I mean, how has it been the fundraising experience, you know, for raising all this money too? Because I mean, I know that at the beginning it was a little bit rocky. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's It was a mixed experience, <laughs> I, I would say. Like, I, you know, I've I've attempted to fundraise many times and I've succeeded some of them. <laughs> uh, and I've, what I found is it often goes kind of one of two ways. Either it goes really smoothly and it gets done, you know, relatively fast. Or it's really rough <laughs> and it takes a long time and often it doesn't end in us raising money. And I've, I've had both those experiences, both those experiences multiple times. You know, early on in our history, I, I think it was tough. It was, you know, it was honestly tough. Like even before Y Combinator, we explored fundraising uh, and it was tough to get, you know, get people uh, across the finish line there. Like, and I think the reason for that, I think there are, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I think one you know, as I mentioned, like this is just not a problem that uh, people who speak English think about very much. And so we got a lot of questions that were along the lines of like, oh, is this actually like a big problem in the world? Like, are, are people willing to like spend money to to, to learn English? And, and I think, you know, you may may know that like the, the, the answer is yes, absolutely. Like it's an enormous problem in the world. And it's a huge market. Uh, but I think people just didn't see it every day. Like they didn't need the product, you know, People they knew weren't talking about this problem, and so I think that made it more challenging. We kind of had to educate educate the, at least the investor community about about what we're doing. Uh, and I think the other challenge was there had been a handful of companies that had tried to build language learning services before, and they and you know they hit some challenges. And so um, a lot of the questions we got in the really early days were like, okay, well, well, why you know how are you different? Like why is why is that not going to be your destiny as well? And uh, it's tough to I think answer those questions. I think a lot of what we had to do was just kind of prove with scaling the business that, that, Hey, Cambly's different. And, and um, you know, some of those fundraising conversations like that, that didn't go our way. Uh, you know, I think we had to go back and, and kind of, yeah, prove folks wrong and, and try to come, you know, come with some evidence and data that, that was a, a bit more irrefutable. 
Now, I think that at least that uh, served you guys very well. I mean, there's always a positive in in a negative, no? And I think that from that early experience of finding it a little bit rocky to find capital, I think that you guys have been able to benefit, at least from what I hear, where you still have a ton of that money, you know, that you've raised in the bank because the last round that you did, you know, was a few years ago. I mean, we're talking about 2020. So, so I guess how the question that comes to mind is how were you able to also balance you know, that mentality of being capital effective as a, as a team with perhaps, you know, the mentality of VC firms of go, 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 spend, 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 and burn, you know, as much as you can to grow as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that, you know, we got to cash positive about five years ago. And I think in the very early days, we were just really efficient because we were spending our own money. And so we built a lot of stuff in a way that like, scaled really well and scaled efficiently. We're two engineers. So like every time something got repetitive or expensive, we'd, we'd say, hey, can we write some code to automate this? And I think we kind of had this foundation where we we built a really like lean marketplace from, from like the very, very early days. But, you know, that always kind of evolves over time. And so, you know, we weren't cash flow positive for the first few years of the company. And, you know, when we got to cash flow positive, it wasn't really out of choice. I think we, we were kind of forced <laughs> uh, to go that route because we went out to raise a Series A. You know, we didn't have a ton of money in the bank. We were burning a decent amount per month. Uh, and, you know, the plan was we're going to raise a Series A and then we'll, we'll go on from there. That's, that's what startups do. Uh, and, and obviously things did not go as planned. Uh, we were not able to get, you know, offers we were excited about or, or you know, things we were willing to move forward with. Uh, and so we had to circle up and kind of come up with plan B basically. And plan B was that we're going to get the company to cash flow positive. And so it was definitely like a, a, a challenging and stressful time, but, uh, also a really productive time because it, it gave an immense amount of clarity and focus for what we needed to do. And four months later, we had a cash flow positive company and, and this is late 2017, and, and yeah, we basically, we, we've been cash flow positive ever since. Uh, and about a year after that, we went back out. Uh, and talk to a lot of those same investors who had, who had, uh, in one way or the other, not decided to invest in Cambly earlier. Um, and we got a really, really different reaction. Uh, you know, the the company had actually we had we had went out and said, "Hey, we're going to accomplish all these things if you give us money," and then no one gave us money. Uh, and then we were actually able to like by dialing in the business still accomplish those things without the capital. And so it, it ended up being this really compelling story of like, hey, we told you we're going to do this stuff. Um, you know, if we had this extra capital, we never got the capital and we still did it. And, and I think like we just built such a more robust and healthy business in that year that uh, I think kind of seeing, seeing you know, our perseverance to push through that and then also seeing how, how well we were able to improve the business, uh, I think was just made for made for like a compelling story for investors um, coming back to your question about like how do you balance the like you know VCs wanting to push you and to spend a lot of money and and also keeping kind of a lean operation, uh, you know I think we were you know the nice thing about being cash flow positive you can be really selective about who you decide to work with and so we we were like you know we were we were picky about who we who we decided to work with and we found folks that I think were philosophically aligned with with our approach um, and the way I think about this actually is like a, a little bit different like. We we've always been, I think, pretty lean and efficient as a company, and and I think we actually have pretty good alignments, pretty good alignment with the the VCs we work with on that. And you know, the way I think about this is like I I'm not looking to like just get to some scale, no matter what, uh, to sort of hit just hit some next milestone. 
Uh, what I really want to do is I want to figure out like what are the mechanisms that are going to allow us to scale the bu- scale the company for a really long time. Uh, and so if you th- if you kind of frame it that way and you take the timeline away, you don't think like what do I need to get to the next fundraise or what do I need to get to this artificial milestone. If you think about it as like how do I uh, how do I set this company up so it can grow for the next 10 or 20 years you're kind of in the early stages there and and a lot of what what we're doing is experimenting and figuring out what mechanisms work and i think it's really easy if you just throw loads of capital at the problem to like learn the learn and take away the wrong lessons and so that's sort of how we approach it and uh, and i think yeah, we're pretty aligned with our vcs there which is great because i think they're they're big believers in in scaling in a really efficient way as well and and they kind of believe that that's what's actually going to lead the company to the best uh, long-term outcome. Amazing. Now, for the people that are listening to get an idea on the scope and size, I mean, how big is Camly? I mean, anything that you can share in terms of numbers of maybe employees or anything else that you're comfortable with? Yeah, we're, we're a couple hundred people, about a couple hundred people now um, and a really global team. So, you know, I mentioned English education is, is a global problem. So yeah, we have, we have a, we're headquartered in San Francisco, but uh, we've got uh, teams and operations in each of our biggest markets. Uh, and that's sort of, we've got a few teams in East Asia, in like Middle East, Turkey. We've got a Brazil team. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Camly's actually like been a pretty global uh, business and operation from, from day one. And we've built out a team to reflect that. And so um, we have teams kind of in places where, where our customers are. And we've taken like a pretty interesting model there, like, you know, I think because of the nature of the problem we're working on teaching English, uh, we, we sort of had to figure out how to be global from from day one. Like, uh, I mean, literally, it was just the two of us, you know, working on this on this company and we built an app and localized it in 10 languages because by definition, your customers who are trying to learn English don't necessarily you know, don't necessarily know English. And so it's very different from, I think, the other companies I've worked at where localization can kind of be an afterthought after you get to some scale. For us, it was like something we had to figure out really, really early on. Uh, and then I think we've also kind of built out our team in, in that way. And so we figured out pretty early on that like we're not going to be able to, we don't know how to market in Korea or Brazil or Turkey. Like like we don't know the language, we don't know the culture. And so we we hired basically um, country managers who, who were from those places who really understood it. Uh, and uh, they were able to kind of launch our business in those markets uh and the the and sort of the effect of that is like we have uh like we have a product and a and a business that's like extremely localized like to the point where i think one of the really cool things is a lot of the folks like who use our service they actually think we're a local company you talk to a korean customer they think they're we're a korean company you talk to like a saudi customer they think we're a saudi company uh and it's because of this sort of really decentralized approach we've taken. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's a really interesting, really interesting aspect of, of our company. Now, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Cambly is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, it's a good world. Uh, so I think that world would look like, I think anyone, you know, those, those 1.5 billion people that are trying to learn English right now, I think any one of them has uh, access to really high quality uh, English education, high quality English education that's that's yeah affordable, affordable for them and uh, and really effective. Uh, and I think what that means is it's gonna 
uh, unlock a lot of opportunity for them. And, you know, I, I know like it will be hard to ever get to a, a truly uh, level playing field for, for anyone in the world. Uh, but I believe that if we could make English uh, education accessible uh, to everyone, it, it's going to be a huge, huge step in that direction. Uh, and so that, that is our dream. That is our vision. Uh, you know, I think we've got, uh, we've got a, a ways to go. We've got a lot, a lot of work ahead of us, but, but that, that's where, that's where we'd like to accomplish as a company. Amazing. Now, imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, perhaps to that time that, you know, you had left Google. Now you were in the startup world, you know, that you had met now your, your co-founder and, and where you're like thinking about doing something of your own. Imagine if you have that opportunity of having a sit down with that younger self and giving that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I would probably tell myself that building a startup is a, a long journey uh, and it takes a lot of time to build a really impactful company. Um, if I think about what I was like back then, I think I was probably naive in a bunch of ways around Oh, we'll just build this thing and then it'll like it'll be huge. And uh that's definitely not been the case. It has been uh, it has been a long road and I think there's been lots of ups and downs along the way. Um but that's sort of what you're signed up for. Uh, I think that that's that's part of the fun. Uh you know, it's it's not a, a linear route. Uh you know, there's there yeah, there's ups and downs and uh but I think if you can kind of keep perspective of like, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Uh, and do I do I believe that this is like a good thing? Uh, it'll it'll get you through a lot of that. And I think that's yeah the the challenges and and you know things that that are hard about it. I think it's also why it's really rewarding. And um, if the thing you were trying to accomplish wasn't hard, then someone would have probably done it already. Uh, and so uh, it's you know I, I tell myself maybe more of a pep talk uh, than a specific piece of advice. But uh, I tell myself that like yeah it's you know this is this is part of the journey, part of the fun and yeah, if you want to make a change in the world, like a company is a really good vehicle to do that. Uh, but but it, yeah, it takes time to 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 to, to fulfill the, the impact you, you want to have. I love it. So Samir, for the people that are listening that would like to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, so we're we're hiring uh, across the board, and so if you're interested in in working on a like a really highly impactful problem that uh, that I think needs more attention, check out our careers page. Uh, uh, and if you're interested in, you know, you or someone you know is either interested in becoming a tutor on our platform or or wanting to learn English, you can go to Canva.com and, uh, and and check us out there. Uh, and yeah, those are probably the, the the best ways to get in touch. But yeah, we'd love to. You know, we're uh, you know a big part of our phase right now is we're just we're investing a lot in growing the team, and so uh, looking for for amazing folks who are excited about uh, excited about our our mission and the impact it can have. Amazing. Well, Samir, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.